And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 184 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Negley, a time of recording, 11.05 a.m. on March 8th. 2020. This is the last episode of the Next Best Picture podcast ever because the world will have you believe that the coronavirus is going to get us all here to talk with me all about it this week and how it is impacting the Hollywood industry. And yeah, of course, this isn't going to be our last episode ever. I have Michael Schwartz. I like doing this over podcast, so I don't have to worry about anyone coughing on me. (laughs) Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. Thinking positive because now I can sit on the subway. (laughs) And Thomas O'Brien. Hi, everybody. So, man, what a week this has been. (laughs) You know, I I got a message uh, the other day from a friend of mine. And he was jokingly saying to me, the world could possibly be on fire. There could be riots in the streets, cops just going after people left and right, mass hysteria, looting, like you name it. It's basically at the end times. And Matt Negley will be like, all right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer, too. <laughs> He'll still be podcasting. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all honesty. Um, this week, we are going to be discussing uh, the impact that the coronavirus has had on the Hollywood industry. I think in the last week, we saw um, some of the biggest developments of how it is starting to impact the Hollywood uh, system as it, as it is and what it could mean possibly moving forward for the rest of the year. So there's a lot of speculation and a lot to discuss in regards to that. We're also, for this week's poll, we're asking everyone um, <laughs> about controversial films surrounding the upcoming release of the delayed movie The Hunt. And um, it's quite apt, actually, because there's been a lot of movies that are getting delayed lately, once again, due to the coronavirus. Uh, We're going to talk about the trailer for Greyhound starring Tom Hanks, and we're going to answer some fan questions this week. So let's start off by asking everyone going around the room here. uh, For those of you that were brave enough to go to the cinema this week and possibly contract the coronavirus, Michael, what did you catch up on this week? Well, yes, I was brave enough. I trekked out into the unknown and saw one movie this week. I was catching up from last week, actually, and that was The Invisible Man. Oh, wow. Okay. I I had a feeling you might check this one out, especially if the reviews were positive, which they were. So, yeah, have at it. What did you think? Oh, I thought it was really great, actually. I think Elizabeth Moss is giving a stellar performance, but just the way that the film is crafted, I think it builds up a ton of suspense, and it's smart and actually about something. Yeah. Uh, It's really, really well done. If I had one qualm with the whole movie, I do not think it has to be two hours and five minutes. Did you feel like – I I personally felt that the climax of the movie was happening in the parking lot, and I was very surprised when the movie kept going beyond that set piece – it worked what happened after that, but I felt like so much of it could have been condensed to like maybe a hundred minutes. And I think you wouldn't have lost anything. But sure. again, minor qualm. I think it's really, really, really well done. And if they're going to take this new approach to the dark universe or whatever it is, uh, I think there's a way to go about that. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think the big budget uh, action spectacle way in trying to emulate, obviously, Marvel and things of that nature for box office receipts is, guys, like at the end of the day, you can't copy that formula. It's just like, that was like lightning in a bottle, you know? It's just Mm -hmm. insane. Gotta find what works for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think DC is starting to finally realize that. No, yeah, same. DC tried to do the same thing. It didn't work. And again, like you said, they're just starting to figure out what works for them. Exactly. So everybody that wants to do these like big franchises now with universes and such, you know, they'll 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 find their way. They just can't do the exact same thing. It just it was too big. You just can't replicate that. You just can't. (laughs) So uh, anything else, Michael, or was that it? Uh, That was only a new movie. I actually did watch movie i haven't seen in years and years and years i watched it from home to get ready for emma i watched clueless again this week oh my gosh how was it yes it was as great as i remembered it being yeah that's a fun movie totally delightful and charming and alicia silverstone is fantastic and yeah so i'm looking forward to catching up with emma at some point i was gonna say it hasn't come to your area yet or it is there it's here i just have been so busy and you know catching up with things one thing at a time but these movies will be around now they don't now that they don't have to clear out for James Bond, so there's plenty of time to catch up with everything. <laughs> All right, Lauren, what about you? What'd you catch up on this week? I was scared, so I didn't go to the movies and instead watched How to Train Your Dragon 2, like a good person, because I've yet to see that <laughs> entire trilogy. <laughs> so I'm doing that. But I definitely am planning on being brave and going on Tuesday to either see Onward or The Invisible Man, because I still have not yet seen that one. Okay. All right. Josh Parham? Uh, well, opposite to everybody else so far, I actually saw a ton of movies uh, in the theaters because I'm brave <laughs> <laughs> uh, or reckless and, and just don't care about myself. Um, uh, I actually first saw Seaberg. Uh, I finally saw that one because it was in theaters and uh, I liked it. I think Kristen Stewart is really, really good in it. Uh, the movie itself is just sort of okay. It meanders a bit, and it's not that good. But if you have to see it, I would say see it for her. She's so, so good. It's my favorite performance that she's ever given. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I actually didn't get a chance. This one fell through the cracks for me. So I, I should see it just for for the fact that it's her best, you think? I would say so. I mean, it's going to be on Amazon Prime in a little bit anyway. So it'll be easy to catch at, a, at some point. Um, yeah. But she's really good. Uh, And then I saw Wendy, the new Ben Zeitlin film. And I thought that was a movie that had a lot of interesting things in it that didn't quite come together in a successful way. There are things I very much appreciated. And I actually did kind of like that it tries to take this Peter Pan story and give it a new spin slightly to it with a new perspective. But like I said, I don't think it comes together as a wholly successful film, but there's very interesting elements in it that I appreciated for sure. Do you join in my enthusiasm for that incredible score? Yeah, I mean, the score is really good. It did sound a bit like the Beast of the Southern Wild score to me, but obviously there's a reason for that. But it, it's great. It is great music. I'm not going to deny that. I, I am just so in love with that score. I can't stop playing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's great. It really is. Um, then I did see The Way Back, which I'm not going to go into too much detail because we're going to talk about that later. But yeah, I like I did like it. Uh, ben Affleck's really good in it. I think that the sports drama in it is much better than like the character drama that surrounds it. But 
Uh, overall, I found it to be a very entertaining film, like most of Gavin O'Connor's movies are. So we'll talk more about that one later. Uh, and then finally, I saw this movie called Greed, which, if you don't know what that is, this is a movie directed by Michael Winterbottom that stars Steve Coogan as like this fashion baron, billionaire. He's putting on a party for himself, and uh, it kind of shows the events leading up to the party and flashes back to how he became a billionaire by all these shady deals and exploitation of workers. And it's very like scattershot and messy in terms of a screenplay perspective, but I found it to still be just so like joyously entertaining while looking at this very boisterous and terrible human being that Steve Coogan is playing. And he does it so well. It's not like he's like really a terrible person, but he's not, hyperbolic it feels very grounded actually in his performance and it makes it so watchable so it's kind of a mess but i enjoyed myself the entire time i was watching it so i would still recommend it fun fact uh dan bear was just telling me the other day um it was his least favorite film that he saw at tiff and maybe of the year last year and he was like begging me to write a review of it and i was like (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean i can understand i think mainly because it just really doesn't go anywhere i think especially the ending is very silly (laughs) it's a very ridiculous ending but it is one of those movies where i had fun while i was watching it in the moment and for that i can say that i can recommend it on the sorry to bother you scale of silly endings uh where would you say it (laughs) ranks i mean it doesn't go quite into such absurdist territory but it does like there's something that happens in it that just feels so unearned and it just really takes you out the movie because it's like wait this is what the movie is now like this is how we're resolving things and it i didn't really care for that but the whole movie just has a tone to it that i found very enjoyable and while it's not very complex or subtle it was entertaining as i was watching it i'll wait for streaming on that one as well then i guess yeah, that, you can do that. I mean, I just like to catch stuff in theaters when I can, but it's, surely. it is like a streaming movie you can wait for, truly. Okay, Tom? My week was kind of like Michael's in that uh, I didn't see anything new, uh, but it, it wasn't because of the coronavirus. It was because I was just too busy. But nonetheless, uh, I uh, do want to uh, bring some attention to a movie that I'd seen two months ago and never really talked on the, on the main show about it. Uh, it was at the Palm Springs Film Festival. And um, you will all know the name because it, it was nominated for an Oscar for International Feature, and that's Corpus Christi. Ah, um, yes. This I have is, seen this. <laughs> this is now coming out around the country. It's done New York and L.A., and, and it's going to be playing uh, around – so if it comes to your local theater or any theater, uh, you'd really enjoy uh, going to it. It's really worth a trip. Uh, the it's I had no idea that apparently this particular plot is replicated across Poland right now. And it's kind of a strange phenomenon that um, men, unordained men, are posing as Roman Catholic priests. And uh, it happens in this film, uh, a 20 year old uh, guy who's in a youth detention center for second degree murder uh, is on a work release program in a small town. And he's 
this guy's been obsessed with wanting to become a priest and he can't because of his criminal background, but he swipes a collar and a, you know, priest's shirt, you know, the play dress up, I guess. And uh, he's there and uh, he's mistaken for a new replacement priest in in the local parish. And uh, eventually he becomes the pastor and he doesn't know what he's doing, of course, but he is ministering in a way that really finds a response in the town. And even people who have fallen away from the church are now flocking to it because of his uh, just uh, unusual approach. And uh, it's quite good. Oh, man, the, the main performance uh, by, I'm going to kill his name, Bartos Bolinia, um, is is really very believable and uh it's really very special and um, i would highly recommend if it comes near you to make an effort to go see it all right yeah awesome that's a really good movie and i am convinced that it got its nomination on the strength of that lead performance because he is incredible in that film yeah it's the best male performance i've seen this year this year or last year well it didn't get a you know u.s release until this year so I'm not- yeah, but I, I always go by Oscar qualifying run for that. So technically, I think I would consider it last year. Uh, was it eligible for Best Picture or was it just eligible for International? I think that if it's eligible for one, it, it automatically is eligible for the other. Yeah, it, it, it's mm. always tricky with that. Yeah, yeah, it still needs a qualifying release. I mean, International Feature is kind of tricky because you just need a release in your home country. You don't necessarily need one in the United States. Mm, you're right. Then it is tricky in that case. Eh, all right. It's a great performance that people should check out. Definitely. I, I saw only uh, two movies uh, this week. I saw The Way Back with Ben Affleck, uh, which I am hereby deeming hashtag Manchester on the court uh, because mm-hmm. it very much did remind me of Manchester by the Sea in many ways. And I would argue that Ben Affleck's performance in this movie is not only the best of his career, but it comes quite close to what Casey Affleck does in Manchester by the Sea. So I I, I was very, very thoroughly impressed by his work in this movie. I I was gobsmacked by it. I I didn't know he had this kind of performance in him, to be honest with you. Uh, But more on that, like Josh said, we'll have a podcast review of that this week. Uh, Proxima is a film that I saw yesterday. Um, There is a French uh, uh, festival happening right now in New York. Um, and this movie got its uh, world premiere at TIFF earlier this year. Stars Eva Green, uh, Matt Dillon, and it's a space movie that does not take place in space. It takes place on Earth before they lift off to go to space, and it's all about the physical and mental preparation that astronauts must go through uh, before they go on such a mission. And it's very much grounded within reality. And Eva Green plays a mother who is separated uh, from her husband and is uh, caring for uh, their daughter. And it's all about the relationship between the two of them. And it's a very, very um, quiet movie, very sweet. I found it very captivating, just like I said, in terms of its relatability because of how grounded it was. Um, It's nothing special, nothing extraordinary or anything like that. But I did really appreciate that it wasn't um, heightened – or, um, you know, dabbling into, like, the sci-fi aspects of what we typically see from this genre. It was definitely just, it just felt so, God, I don't want to say the word earthly, but it just felt so real. (laughs) So, um, I would say worth checking out, but, um, you know, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't say you have to rush, uh, to, to, uh, to see it in the end. Hey, everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast. 
a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. So, um, with all that out of the way, uh, let's start off with some news that's been going on. Uh, So, the coronavirus is something that has slowly, over the last couple of weeks, been impacting uh, the film industry little by little with China especially getting, uh, I would say, the most impacted by it all. Uh, There's a lot of movies that uh, were supposed to be releasing in China that have now been pushed off indefinitely. Um, There are productions that have shut down. Uh, There's been a lot of speculation about what's going to be going on with Mulan. As of um, February, if I remember correctly, the Chinese release uh, was delayed indefinitely for that movie. And now we received word after um, MGM canceled the Chinese premiere of No Time to Die this past week, the release of the movie itself worldwide has now moved from April to November, and the new Trolls movie will be taking its spot instead. Um, This is a huge, huge shift uh, for a movie that I know for pretty much most of us, if it, it Definitely Josh Parm. We were all looking mm-hmm. forward to. <laughs> yeah, this impacted me not at all. I had no emotional reaction to this news whatsoever. <laughs> but there's more than just us. You know, I, 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 like Josh probably had to the news of No Time to Die uh, getting its release moved. I probably had a similar reaction when uh, this past Friday I was at work and I got a message on my phone saying, South by Southwest has officially been canceled, and my heart broke into a million pieces because I I, I knew that Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, hell, my own company that I even work for, uh, all pulled out of attending South by Southwest. But there was an announcement made that the that the festival would still be going on. A few days later, it's officially canceled. Uh, the economy over there is going to be losing about I think they said like three hundred and fifty million dollars. A lot of freelancers are going through some turmoil right now with trying to get refunds for their airfare and such. And it's a big mess of a situation and one that I I, I understand. I get it. Public, you know, safety is a huge concern right now for a lot of folks. And, you know, having a gathering of that many people from all different parts of the world, probably not the best idea right now. I get it. But then we got to look at look at it this way. Like can hasn't announced uh, that they're canceling. They've, they've said that they're still uh, going to be moving, uh, you know, go, going forward as business as usual. So I'm just curious, like, do you guys think that we could see uh, Can following suit? What does this mean then for the fall film festivals? Like, where do you guys see this going? I could totally see Can, you know, pulling out of... Actually, the movies would be pulling out of Can. There's nothing for Can to do except cancel. So... Yeah, I could totally see that happening if things tend to get worse. And I totally hope that doesn't happen. But, you know, we need to consider what's going on all around the world. So I don't know what would happen with that. We've never seen anything. So you mean anything like this before? We've never seen anything where like the Cannes Film Festival had to shut down. And, you know, that doesn't just impact the state of the world, but how our little bubble of Oscar season works and, you know, the little film industry in the scheme of things. Well, let's go down that rabbit hole for a minute here. Let's imagine that 
with South by Southwest canceling, right? And let's just imagine that can also follow suit. All's going to suck then. Well, so all these films that are supposed to be premiering at these festivals, how are they now going to get rolled out? And how is that going to impact then the marketplace when we head into the fall? And will the issue be even solved by the time we get to the fall? Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. It's yeah. like there's yeah. still this whole unknown cloud hanging over this is that you're just hoping that in the months to come it'll be resolved. But we really don't know. Don't. And that's the tricky situation right now is you we're preparing for the moment and hoping that things will resolve. But there's no way to predict whether this will recede or just get worse. I, I really feel sorry for the uh, young filmmakers who are trying to get their films seen at South by. And it's going to be very difficult because sometimes the South by films certainly will not play at Cannes. And then if Cannes gets uh, canceled, uh, we've got a whole lot of movies out there that have definite release plans that are now it's now thrown up in the air. And uh, it's it's really tough. I mean, Cannes is pretty much the official launch point of the best international feature film category every single year for us. And even for films that don't um, obviously get the nomination, it's still a great opportunity to check out uh, movies that like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, you know, that go on to be uh, big hit, hits amongst our community. So it's, it's a detrimental blow if it does happen. One thing I've seen getting floated around a lot on the Internet, I'm just curious what you guys think would happen here. Do you or do any of you foresee Amazon, Netflix, Apple, Hulu, any of the streaming um, companies picking up these movies as a means to just try and get them out there? I mean, that would be nice, but they're definitely not going to see those movies at that at their priority. And I feel like those movies, those little ones will just get lost in the streaming anagram or like the like this, the coding of it. Like you just won't see them. They'll just be buried under what Netflix, what Apple and what Amazon want their main ones to be it all depends on what the movies are you know it might be a nice gesture to see the streamers pick up some of these films but you know it's tough to say when you don't have a audience reaction to gauge that with and if it's not your movie it'll get buried yeah so let's put it this way then let's imagine uh that doesn't happen okay Let's also go down the scenario that can also does not happen. And all these international uh, releases and anything else that was supposed to go there right now, they all have to get released um, either at another film festival or just during its uh, normal scheduled release date, right? Yeah. So does that mean then that festivals like – oh, man. I'm just trying to – I'm trying to imagine like what would be the move here because it's like – I, I, I do you cram up other film festivals with just more movies? Do you uh, impromptu just kind of like just start up something uh, very quickly to just try and, you know, get these things shown? Um, do you not do the platform release with film festivals at all? Yeah, first I was thinking, okay, maybe if they dump everything on Venice or if they dump everything on Tip, but that again is still so far away. And again, it's the still same thing of it being an international film based schedule, which is the exact reason why they're canceling, even though it's far away. I was also thinking maybe it could just be a purely digital thing where they just release it out normally, but it's, we just don't know the scale of the disease yet. And we know it has to get worse before it gets better. And we just don't know what the worst is yet. There's probably some tech person somewhere in the world that's developing 
some company with some app to your point lauren that's going to be like i am going to save the movie industry in 2020 (laughs) by charging a premium for people to watch these movies from home and i'll be honest if certain movies if i knew that I was not going to be able to go watch them in a theater because let's just say hypothetically a certain large percentage of the world's population was now being quarantined and things were starting to get more serious and I had to stay indoors. Shit, yeah, I'd pay a little bit more money to watch these movies at home. Absolutely. It is funny that with the stock market downturn, the severe one this past week, uh, one of the very few stocks to go up was Netflix. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, but I think the other thing to remember is that all of this is for films that already have distribution and release dates. And the thing that I really worry about are those titles that really depend on festivals for acquisition, to have people see them in a theater, to see that response from people, and to use that to get bought and to get distribution. And I... It's that you can't really do that with just, you know, send a screener out to people and have a, somebody review it and put it on their website. You kind of need that enthusiasm from a crowd. And that is the impact that I'm really, really worried about. So is it possible that we just see a lot of movies that were supposed to get released, uh, have their release get delayed maybe until next year? Or you know what I could see? I could see a lot of them just going the um, uh, the VOD qualifying release route, New York and L.A., you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that always depends on, like, the type of movie that it mm-hmm. is. You know, there's some movies that can do that. But other times it's, you know, there's stuff that you really do want to have a theatrical presence for. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's very, very tricky right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because the festivals, I mean, both South By and Cannes, are such a launching pad for movies that are locked into their release dates at the moment. And uh, without that launching pad it's it's really tough somebody was joking with me the other day because um i i I got my telluride uh uh pass this week and uh someone said to me oh they will cancel telluride not enough people go there (laughs) i was like okay (laughs) we'll see we'll see they're like yeah it's only four days and not enough people show up there anyway Uh, minimal risk (laughs) (laughs) um but you know something like like can or venice um i definitely think is in danger um, I would say Venice less so because obviously it's a few months away still, um, but we got to see how things progress. I mean, right now the numbers are only going up for everywhere pretty much. I, I, I did hear that actually in China it's starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah, it's mainly Italy and Iran are the really bad places right now. Yeah, I, I just read today that Italy had 16 million people uh, quarantined. Yeah, she's not doing good. So like one, one in every four uh, people that you know. Uh, is probably in quarantine right now to try and contain it. Crazy. Craziness. But, hey, at the end of the day, uh, you know, just stay stay safe. Don't panic. Right? And I, I, I've been living through this, like, the last couple of days. I'm, I've really just taken on this mantra of, like, don't live in fear. Just live your life, but be safe. You know? Yep. I think that's very, very important, especially as things progress with the level of uncertainty um, that we are facing right now. So... More news to come on this, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead because, um, you know, we're going to get closer and closer to these big dates that are coming up uh, in, the, in our industry and decisions are going to have to be made. 
I, I do think that when it comes to Cannes, I think the French are stubborn, stubborn enough to not cancel the festival unless if the, the films do pull out and they have no other choice. That's the only way I could see them uh, canceling it <laughs> because it, it just like, I, I, I mean, it's I'm like half joking, half serious, but, you know, we'll see. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of uh, delayed uh, releases, uh, this week we're finally getting the release of the film The Hunt, uh, which is a uh, film that, you know, uh, got delayed uh, because of, um, uh, you know, criticism uh, that it faced from uh, the current uh, administration. Uh, And, you know, there was a great uh, political divide, obviously, in terms of its, uh, you know, use of violence. So we're getting that film uh, this weekend. Um, I will be uh, checking it out and uh, seeing what all the hype is about, if you will. Uh, But there have been throughout history other movies uh, that have had their uh, fair share of controversy uh, surrounding them and have had their releases delayed. There have been protests. There have been changes within the industry. I mean... Lots and lots and lots of different uh, stories revolving around movies that have pushed the envelope either for the sake of art or sometimes just to provoke. And I have a very, very long list this week of controversial films. I'm sure I'm missing some. There is a write-in <laughs> option available. Uh, but we're asking everyone for the polls this week, which is their favorite controversial movie? So something that had its fair share of controversy tied to it, and you went in maybe skeptical, maybe not, who knows, but you walked out of it saying, you know what, I could see why it's controversial, but fuck it, I loved it. What do you guys got? For me, it was, um, you know, let's say it, Lars von Trier. Uh, I really like Dogville. Mm. That is, that's a tough movie, but, it's, but you know, it's the only movie that you can see Nicole Kidman, Lauren Bacall, and Udo Kier in the same film. <laughs> A good point. A good point all around. Absolutely. Yeah. Lars von Trier is definitely on the list here. Um, I I did only include the house that Jack built uh, just due to its recency, but yeah. he's had his fair share of movies all throughout his entire career. But just to give you guys like a bit of a spectrum here, I mean, we've got stuff going all the way back to Freaks, mm-hmm. uh, all the way up until uh, this year, uh, well, last year rather, with Joker. So, I mean, we're covering everything from Life of Brian to I Spit on Your Grave to Bonnie and Clyde to mm-hmm. uh, The Birth of a Nation, both movies in this case. <laughs> um, the interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen, which had its release delayed as well. Um, so, Michael, uh, what about you? What movie had its fair share of controversy that you still absolutely loved? You know, just looking at this list, there's not just one type of controversy here. It just covers different ranges about movies that yeah releases that were canceled or just you know activist religion violence sex yeah so it's not that you could use one criteria to say oh this is my type of controversy or this is my favorite movie that happened to be controversial so just looking through this list you know if we're just talking about i think the best movie on this list for me the answer is the silence of the lambs oh yeah and totally. I'm Definitely. not saying that because of any controversy. I'm just saying out of all the movies here, it just happens to be my favorite on the list. If we're talking about the most, we'll say, entertaining controversy, you know, where do you start? So many of them are intriguing. You know, we lived through a few of them, Birth of a Nation. Not that that was enjoyable in any way, shape or form. But, you know, we just remember that happening. Uh, the Exorcist years ago, I remember that, you know, reading about that being such a huge thing. A Joker, obviously, we just saw. So it's just interesting to 
see what caused these films to be so controversial, but then 30 years later, watch them and go, oh, well, I just enjoy this as a movie. And, you know, it's weird to think that there's any stigma tied to it. I actually think that when a film has controversies surrounding it uh, at the time of its release, I do think it is very interesting how we do look back 20, 30 years later as almost like it is more important because it actually stands as like a historical document almost of where we were during the country at that time. Did it make an impact um, or was the inverse where we as a country impacted that film's perception and so on and so forth, you know? And I always find the films that are uh, the most controversial are the ones that typically tend to get remembered long term because of that. Yeah, I love controversy. It's and I just like the conversations that come out of them. Oh yeah, I mean you guys, you guys heard me say all year last year. I love the conversation around Joker more than I love Joker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I I definitely live for the conversation all the time. Uh, I, I think in tying that together, uh, looking at the list here, I mean I could go so many different routes, like Michael said as well. I'm going to say I love Mother, though. Darren Aronofsky is I think he's great. Mm -hmm. And I remember being terrified of Mother and I came out and my friend was like, I hate it. And I was like, I loved it. Yeah. And that was just an awesome conversation that we had about it. I loved Mother until Darren Aronofsky opened his mouth about Mother. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Mother was so good when I did not fully know what it was about. And then when he started saying, oh, no, this is what it's about. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I I think I've had the most interesting conversations in recent years about people who, you know, with people who hate mother. And uh, I got to say, it's even growing in my mind now. Yeah. Interesting. You know, when I do look at this list, I, I do kind of feel like there is that that pull between the movie that is maybe what I find to be the best and the one that I went in maybe not expecting much from it due to the controversy and actually appreciating it a lot more. And I think if I think of things on that latter perspective, my pick would probably be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I remember hearing all the things about that movie and going in a little bit guarded because sometimes horror films aren't, at least at that time, I really wasn't into them that much. But I was actually very surprised at how skillfully that movie is directed and despite it being a no budget horror film from the 70s it's actually really really well done and very smart in the way that it employs its horror and i feel like that was the biggest surprise that i got from watching a movie that had all this controversy around it and actually being genuinely surprised by how much i was taken in by the film i this isn't my vote but i do want to acknowledge uh how zero dark dirties controversy uh just bleeded over into American politics and like yeah. the movie got taken down so so hard. I I can't remember and unnecessarily. Yeah, for yeah. just being her act for just her being accurate. I can't remember the last time uh, a movie that was like the front runner that in phase one during like the critics phase got that derailed so hard by a controversy in our lifetime. Um, cause normally it's just another film usually emerges during the guilds and it's like, oh, I guess they like Birdman more than they like Boyhood. But with Zero Dark Dirty, it was like a concentrated takedown effort to just wipe this movie off of the face of the planet. It was insane. Just for being historically accurate. Yep. And, and to hear a film denounced on the floor of the United States Senate by someone like John McCain, who might mm. have been there, um, is, was like, 
oh my God, we're talking about movies on the center floor. And yes. then it wasn't just a partisan thing. You also had Carl Levin and Diane Feinstein. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's right. It, it was, yeah, it was really something else to see what happened there. Okay, so if I was choosing like my favorite movie on the list, I would probably say The Exorcist. The Exorcist is uh, my favorite horror film of all time. But in terms of just the controversy and how fascinated I was by the controversy surrounding it, and um, I think also, too, for what it was doing during that time and just uh, the conversations it started uh, amongst me and my friends and such, I I don't think I will ever forget the first time I saw Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. I was thinking about that, too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That was I, – I, I, like, for its time – I wish I, I I wish I was alive <laughs> because like I, I think about things like Joker uh, last year and how people were so built up into a frenzy amongst how they thought it was going to inspire real world violence. And here's a movie that actually did, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I'm just like, ah, man. Yeah, definitely. I would, it, I would go with that one. Uh, it, you know, it, people forget it was rated X. Yeah. 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 That- Back when X was not necessarily a batch of porno, um, and uh, it really was something. I mean, I, I was alive during that time, and the reaction to that was shocking. And uh, no, it's a great choice because it's a good movie and one that really fits the bill of this particular poll question. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Cowboy, still the only X-rated film to ever win Best Picture. That is true. Oh, love that movie. Yep. Here on the list as well. So head on over to the polls page, cast a vote on that. Let us know what is your favorite controversial film of all time. And then for uh, last week, poll results are in here. Uh, We asked everyone which is their favorite Ben Affleck performance. Ooh. Okay, Ben. What do we got here? Let's take a look and see what people voted for for the best Ben Affleck performance. Okay. All right. Here we go. Number 10 is The Way Back. Wow. Yep. Right. You know what? It definitely should be higher, but considering not many people had seen it enough at this point, I'm, I, I, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Number nine is Hollywoodland. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually, once again, surprised that enough people have seen that movie. I remember during that time where um, his career was in such a slump and then he came out with that in a supporting role and actually got some like critics notices. And uh, I believe he got a Golden Globe nomination for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was like right around the time where um, the buildup started happening for um, like the gone baby gone, the town and uh, culminating, obviously, with Argo uh, later on. Yeah, because wasn't that like a – was that 2006? I think that I, was – I think it was. So that was like a year before Gone Baby Gone. So it was yep. like – yeah, I, I do specifically remember that being like, oh, Ben Affleck is like an actor in this movie. He's like doing serious work. Let's try to acknowledge him for that. Yep. Number eight is another Gavin O'Connor film, The Accountant. I've never seen The Accountant. Same. I saw it and I completely it's forgot about it. not great. Yeah, I was on the podcast review, I think, Matt. I think you were, because I think back then it was just the small team of, like, you, me, and Will, and we reviewed yep. everything. It was a month after we launched NVP. I remember going to see it and thinking it was whatever. Yeah, I, I remember I would like the movie up until the ending. I, I, I still could not – I don't want to spoil it for those that haven't seen it, but I, I, I could not stand that ending. 
<laughs> Number seven is Chasing Amy, which I think we said on last week's uh, podcast uh, it has not aged well. Uh, uh, it is dated, but I still do enjoy that movie. I think it is Kevin Smith's best movie. I also think that um, for Ben at that point in his career, that was like his first real like acting acting. Like his first like like major role, if I remember correctly, I think, because up until that point, I think he was just a supporting. Yeah, that guy. was before Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was number. What was that? Number seven? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number six. Number six is Dogma. Again, I haven't seen that one either. Never Kevin Smith film. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not, not my favorite. I know a lot of people love that movie. I'm not quite as high up on it, but I understand why people like his work in it. Yeah, it's it it's it's good, but it it's not chasing Amy. Number five, my favorite, <laughs> sarcasm, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Oh God! <laughs> listen, right. listen, listen. He was a good Batman. I do not like that movie, but he was pretty good in it. I I will admit he was fine. He's yeah, just, he got yeah, like not Oscar worthy. He did he did a good job. He did a fine job. Nice. I wouldn't go that Black far. Man. Oh. I wouldn't go that far to call him good, but he was. He's better than George Clooney in Batman and Robin. Honestly, yes. I, I don't know. Number four is Goodwill Hunting. Number three is Argo. Number two is The Town. Okay, and number one, here we go. Yep. With 41% of the vote is Gone Girl. Not shocking at all. Yeah. No, no, that's it. That's great. I mean, still to this day, I I, I think I've I, yeah I said this in my review of the way back. Best performance, but Gone Girl best role, hands down. Yeah, like like we said this last week. That's the role that just uses his persona so well too. It's like you can't imagine anybody else but Ben Affleck playing it because it goes right into everything that you think about Ben Affleck as well. Yeah, but this—that's such a reason why casting should be a category in every single award show. Because when there is the perfect casting choice like that, it really does make a movie. Did you guys hear about this uh, story during the making of Gone Girl, where Ben Affleck uh, had to wear a Yankees hat for yes. a scene? Yeah, yeah, you've heard the story. Yes, and they had to shut down production for four days because he refused to wear the hat. <laughs> And they had to, like, negotiate behind the scenes, and Fincher, like, fought with him over this. <laughs> Something so small like that. He's a Boston boy. In and out, yep. Oh, gosh. <sighs> Man. If I learned anything from this, from looking at the Ben Affleck filmography, you know what I realized? And, Matt, this will not surprise you in the least. I have never seen a Kevin Smith film. You've never seen a Kevin Smith film? Like, any? I've never. Never. you never seen Zack and Mary make a porno? I have <laughs> never seen a single movie that man has made. What about Clerks? Nope. You should watch Clerks. Clerks is good. I like Clerks. Clerks is your entry point. Yeah. I, I would say watch Clerks, Michael, and just see how you feel after that. We'll see. We'll see. Just that. Just that. I'm not saying you have to watch anymore. I'm just saying just watch Clerks. That's all. Uh, I think there – maybe Clerks. I think that's – you know, I remember that being a big deal. But it's like I look at his filmography. I'm like, I don't – think anything is necessarily going to click but just his collaborations with Affleck I was looking I'm like I have never seen these movies yeah no I get it 
All right. Well, if Affleck bleeds Boston, Tom Hanks bleeds World War II. Uh, and we have a trailer here to discuss uh, called Greyhound, uh, which is directed by Aaron Schneider, stars Tom Hanks, Stephen Graham, Rob Morgan, and Elizabeth Shue. We got a trailer for it this week. It's not to be confused with Midway, which released last year, but... I don't think anybody would confuse that. <laughs> there are some comparisons, I think, to be made here, though. I don't think people remember Midway for people to make that confusion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts. Dear Lord, let your holy angel be with me. That the evil foe may have no power over me. Into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul. Amen. Congratulations on your command. I'll always be looking for you, Evie. Even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. Safe travels to England. How many crossings does this make? This is my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have a kill. Distress rocket, sir. We have hits directly on the convoy. The wolf bag's haunting us. You vote starboard bound! In 48 hours, we've lost seven ships. Souls. What you did yesterday got us to today. It's not enough. Not nearly enough. Targets disappeared, sir. they come what are we gonna do we'll ring hell down from on high all right uh doesn't look done <laughs> more captain less phillips that's the way i see it <laughs> there's something going on here and i don't know exactly what it is but there is just something that seems out of place well okay when was the last time tom hanks wrote a screenplay because he has sole writing credit on this movie yeah. Larry Crown. He wrote a novel. Yeah, but like, wait, is it really Larry Crown? Well, it he probably wrote directed is. that movie, didn't he? Oh, I did not like Let's Larry see, Crown. Writer. Uh, yeah, Larry Crown. Oh, oh. It's much more than Mr. Rogers in a submarine. Oh no, <laughs> guys, I've got a, I've got a bad feeling about this movie. <laughs> I just, just everything about it just seems like. When you see a Tom Hanks movie, it's usually a big prestige vehicle. He's working with like a Spielberg or a Clint Eastwood or just someone really reputable. And it's a big awardsy movie. Or even last year with Marielle Heller, you know, she's the one who has proven cred and she got Oscar nominations the year before for Richard E. Grin and Melissa McCarthy. You know, that's someone who you want to work with. 
here, this guy, uh, what's his name? Aaron Schneider, is that his name? Yeah, his uh, debut film was, I, I think you saw this movie, Michael, Get Low. Yeah, Get Low. Yeah, I remember Get Low. That was 10 years ago, though. Mm-hmm. So where's this guy been over 10 years? And why is he now just coming back with this World War II epic in June? They were trying to fix the visual effects in post-production, I guess, because... Yeah, it's ridiculously <laughs> under budget. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I got to say, I think the spectacle of this trailer is so overblown that it just completely turned me off altogether. I, I was like, you have Tom Hanks in the lead role of your film and you're not going to highlight him and you're going to highlight instead the big battles and stuff more. So instead of giving us a little bit of a tease for it, because I feel like this movie just showed its hand way too much to try and market itself as a big budget summer movie to try and get asses in the seats. And I, I agree with you, Michael. It, it seems like it doesn't know what it wants to be, if it wants to be that or if it wants to be a make-believe prestige film that happens to star Tom Hanks. <laughs> well, not just well, that, know, but it's also like this movie was filmed in early 2018. So they've been sitting on it for a while. I just think I think something's been going on behind the scenes, maybe with the studio or with the overall production. It just seems like something is bumpy here. Yeah, that makes it, sense. It really does, like, when I look at this trailer, just just remind me of kind of like these throwback war movies from the 50s that it just, I don't know, it kind of seems like it's Tom Hanks wanting to make one of those kinds of movies, like, you know, one of those they don't make them like they used to type films and just modernize it for today's audiences. But I feel like there's some disconnect with that, at least in terms of this trailer, that you're right, it does seem like between this action spectacle and what is probably going to be some more character stuff, I just don't think this trailer in particular does a very good job of selling that. I can make two predictions about this movie. Number one, Rob Morgan will be the best thing about it. (laughs) Number two. (laughs) That goes without saying. (laughs) I know, because normally he's been the best thing about every movie he's in lately. (laughs) That's true. And number two, I think that if this movie gets even mixed reviews, I think that it will be a big box office hit. No, but like it'll definitely draw the like the older generation and like the baby boomers to see this. Like I know someone like my dad would love this because, you know, it's Tom Hanks, it's World War II. Like he, they like this stuff, even though it looks low key like a video game at certain points. People are going to go see it, like the, the same people who did see Midway. Like they're, those guys will see it and they'll probably find enjoyment or I think a modern, younger audience might mm-hmm. not. Oh, yeah, I will most likely go see this movie. Don't get me wrong because it's Tom Hanks. But even someone like Tom Hanks in between your, you know, Bridges Spies and Cloud Atlases and, you know, bigger movies. Remember a couple of years ago, it was 2016 and 2017, he had a hologram for the king and the circle. Oh, yeah. And they just Do I remember? So unlike Tom Hanks movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is sort of continuing the tradition, even though it's a subject matter that seems more appropriate for him. It just doesn't seem like the right combination of skill and talent. And it, it's, again, something's off, but I'll see anything with with this man. So, yeah. you know. To me, it looked like it was a one-note performance. Yeah, I mean, I'm more so looking forward to News of the World. That's the film that he's starring in later this year with uh, Paul Greengrass for obvious reasons because those two are reuniting again. Um, And then he's also got uh, Bios uh, coming out um, later this year. 
which is um, Miguel Sapochnik's uh, film post uh, Game of Thrones. And so there's stuff to look forward to, I think, there in terms of what Tom Hanks has to deliver throughout the rest of the year. But I, I, yeah, I just don't think this is it. Like I said, if it gets, if it gets even mixed reviews, I think it'll do well because, like we said, I think there's a core built-in audience that will already go to check it out regardless. But the mixed reviews will help to give it a little bit more of an oomph. If it gets dismal, piss poor, like twenty percent or lower on Rotten Tomatoes reviews. I could see this flopping so hard. But at the same time, I double checked. It's only got a budget of fifty million dollars. I can't I can't believe that it's that low. The effects show it that it's that low. I mean, on one hand, I can believe it is that low because the visual effects don't look good. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, holy crap, they made this for fifty million dollars? I don't understand why this is opening the week before Father's Day. Oh, Michael, I think we know why. Like, Dads will want to see it. <laughs> if you've already pushed it to June, why not go the extra week? Alrighty. So, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, if, uh, just a little side note. Watch Das Boot, uh, directed by Wolfgang Peterson. I'm just going to throw that out there. Great movie. Excellent movie. If you have not seen it, do yourself a favor. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan L. Terry, screenwriting lecturer, film critic, and yeah, even figure skater. Known by my monikers Podstitute and Podhopper, you may have heard me on some of your favorite shows such as Mike, Mike, and Oscar, One Movie Punch, In Session Film, Blockbuster Mentality, Movie Geek and Proud, Just So You Know, and more. And I would love to sit down with you on your show. Whether we are talking about my area of expertise, the American horror film, chatting about what we are watching on TV, or diving deep into a classic or underrated film, I would love to make time for you. You can follow me on Twitter at RLTerry1 and on my blog at RLTerryRealView.com. That's real with two E's. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. All right, let's answer uh, some fan questions now for this week. Let's take a look and see what the community is asking us. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Some, I'm sure we already probably addressed some of this stuff. Carson Timar asks, Now that it is a better awards release date, does No Time to Die become more of a serious contender in categories other than Best Original Song? I was thinking that the second we heard the news, because April just seemed like a weird place for a Bond movie. I always think of Bond being, you know, around the holidays, Thanksgiving. So now that it seems like it's in an appropriate position, yeah, it probably could contend if it's good enough for sound or score mm-hmm. and some of these other texts. I could see a world. I'm just going to throw this out there really quick. I could see a world where it gets a screenplay nomination and Phoebe Waller-Bridge becomes an Oscar nominee. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, I I have noticed the Bond track record with the Oscars, and it's not usually that great. So it it all just depends on how good the movie is because like Skyfall – Got a bunch of nominations, but Spectre came out around the same time and it only got in for song. So I am obviously optimistic. I would love for the movie to break through in more categories, but we just have to see if the reception is there first. Sure. You know what else this will do, though? One more thing about Bond. This coming out in November now, you could see where other Ana de Armas movies were banking on the combination of Knives Out and then No Time to Die in the Spring making her a star before this fall where she has two Oscar contenders. Yeah. I know now this girl. coming out mm. in between both of them, it's going to be like the fall of Anna de Armas. And I say fall as the season, not like her decline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows if she hangs around Ben Affleck long enough, maybe there will be a fall. It'll be <laughs> in, the autumn of Anna de Armas. So between this new Bond movie, she also has 
uh, Blonde, where she's playing Marilyn Monroe for Andrew Dominic on Netflix. That seems like a really big contender. Uh, Brad Pitt's Plan B is behind that. But then she is also in the new Adrian Lynn film, which comes out a week before the Bond movie. So she's going to have a lot going on. And maybe just the superstardom will push her to nomination, maybe for Marilyn Monroe. Maybe. I could see it happening. Definitely. She's riding a wave right now, for sure. It's kind of mm-hmm. like when um, Margot Robbie was riding off of uh, Wolf of Wall Street and was able to get her uh, first Oscar nomination for Itanya, playing a real-life person. I, I mean, I, I even though they were a couple of years apart, mind you, but I, I, I could still see a similar trajectory like that happening. Yeah, so she'll have a very good autumn. And by the way, speaking of this Adrian Lin movie, Deep Water, do we know it's his first movie since 2002? Yeah, I, I saw That's that the other day. crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Anyway, look forward to that. Uh, this is going back to uh, the controversy uh, stuff that we were talking about earlier. This was from uh, Swamp Thing on uh, Twitter. Yesterday, uh, there was a protest against the movie Hail Satan here in Poland. Uh, protesters who hadn't even seen the movie, uh, they based their opinion on the title alone. My question is, isn't the purpose of art to be provocative? Short answer, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, that's what's so cool about controversial films is really your interpretation than having in a conversation someone who didn't have that interpretation and then getting to see why that person thought that. And I think those conversations are really cool. I'm amused by movies that stir the pot that have a level of artistic integrity to them. Uh, movies that stir the pot that just quite honestly aren't that good uh, bother me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, if you're being pretentious, it's annoying. Yeah. I always get a little bit of a tickle when I see people freaking out, especially on film Twitter and especially in this world where everybody's so hyper sensitive towards everything. And for good reason, a lot of the time, but sometimes just like, man, the takes, my God, you know, but hey, wide range of opinions, you know, Uh, we'll always uh, bring about interesting conversation. So there you go. I've had my share of, of going, you know, walking the gauntlet to see a movie like the last temptation of Christ. And, um, Hail Mary, uh, where I wasn't spit upon, but I saw some people spitting upon the people who were going in and seen the film. And it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Isaiah Washington, why do you have to do this to us? Uh, (laughs) Here we go. Do you all believe film is subjective or objective? (laughs) Oh, we've never had this conversation before. (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah, what are you doing? Okay. All right. I, 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 <laughs> for those that don't already know, after listening to the podcast for X amount of years, um, I believe that there are certain rules that one needs to follow, such as focusing on story and character. Okay. That I think is like the basic fundamental of every single movie is every decision that you make has to be rooted somehow in story and character. Beyond that, Whatever you want to do is totally up to you and the audience is free to have whatever opinion on it that they want. But I do believe that the difference between a good movie and a bad movie is when um, you're during your writing process, you're making decisions that are not staying true to a character or come out of left field as like a two sex machina that doesn't make sense or, you know, like things like that. And I think 
from all the reviews that people have heard, myself, Josh, and a bunch of others here uh, do on the podcast, I, I think they'll hear that most of the time when we don't like a movie, it's fundamentally for those reasons usually. Yeah, but I think also that people's interpretations of what those decisions are in terms of what's what makes sense for a character or for the story can be different as well. So like, yes, I, for me personally, there are some fundamentals that I take into every movie in terms of what will work and what won't work for me. But I can also recognize that the way that other people interpret those fundamentals could be different as well. Sure. It's not black or white. No, I mean, I, this is the thing with all art, like all art is subjective from my perspective. Like, I don't think that like even something that I think is trash and terrible and what is one of the worst movies I've ever seen can be adored by a lot of people and win best actor last year, you know? So like it's (laughs) that it, everybody has their own values of what they bring into a movie and, for that, I think anything that you see is inherently subjective when it comes to any art form. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Ethan May. With South by Southwest being canceled, uh, could we see Can being canceled? We addressed that earlier. If so, what impact could that have on award season? I, I don't know if we touched on this like specifically. I think we like we're going a little bit more um, general, maybe around it. Uh, but like I said before, let's just do a quick hypothetical here. Let's imagine that um, – let's imagine – okay, let's let's do this. Let's put our thinking caps on here. Let's say we get to September and Venice did not happen. Can didn't happen. Um, South by Southwest obviously didn't happen. And let's say Telluride is still going to happen. New York is still going to happen and the regional festivals are still going to happen. Just like in terms of award season, like when we get to like critics awards and the build up towards the precursors and such like that, uh, what do we think could happen there? Could we see a world where um, other types of films are being embraced that normally wouldn't get embraced? Maybe. I think maybe. we would. Yeah, I think we would see something like we did this year where just people just don't see enough movies to get such a diverse spread. So we'll see a lot of the same movies getting nominated. Oh, that would be so disheartening. That's what I think what would happen. Everyone will see the main ones. We won't see the little guys that need those festivals and need those small ones. and They they just need their push. And since they're not going to be getting festival access, no one's going to see them. Thus, that delays marketing, that delays the film, the theaters. So it'll be like this last award season where we're going to see like those five movies get like 10 nominations. Yeah. And, 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 and thinking back upon last year, would Parasite have had the impact without winning the Palme d'Or? Oof. No. It, it, mm. Yeah. Can mainly would hurt international films. Yeah. Yeah. Batteries I mean, you mentioned, would be in big trouble. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, Matt, that the big impact for Cannes is always in the international feature race. That's where we see a lot of those contenders pop up. And without that platform and without a platform in Venice, that is where you're going to see a big, big hurt. Okay, let's end uh, this week on a more uh, positive note. So this one comes from that Siam guy, 1988. Uh, Do you have any any underappreciated performances of the 2010s? Mm. Let's start off with anything that didn't get an Oscar nomination. Hmm, good question. Let's see. I need to like go back and look at some lists. But underappreciated, though. Like, it doesn't get talked about a lot, you know? Um, I think, for me, like, one of the few occasions where a, like, acting winner for me that did not get 
uh, that didn't translate into an Oscar nomination uh, were actually two performances that Oscar Isaac gave in the decade. But my favorite between the two is him in A Most Violent Year, which I think is just an underappreciated movie in general. But I really feel like he gave such a great performance in a movie that flew completely under the radar for so many people. And I think he's just incredible in it. Yeah, it definitely reminded me of Al Pacino a lot in that movie, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking about Olivia Wilde and a vigilante forever on this podcast, but I really did love that movie. I remember really liking The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which has Jessica Chastain, in, which is really good. It's like there's three different versions of it, and it's really great, and I love yeah. those. I've seen all mm-hmm. three versions of that movie, too. They're great. Um, what else? Mm. It's a tough one off the top of your head. Yeah, I mean, because there's just so many, so you don't really know exactly like where – your brain, your brain doesn't know where to yeah. where to go. So I remember really loving the kindergarten teacher with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, that's a good. That choice. was great. That was a great performance. You know, I'm going to go with a few ensemble members here from the same movie in 2016. Matt, you'll remember this because we were talking about it right before NBP launched. Mm-hmm. I really loved at the time the movie Indignation. Oh, I knew yeah. you were going to say it, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> And the performances from Trace, Tracy Letts, Linda Iman, Danny Burstein, Logan Lerman, all really spectacular. So uh, if you haven't seen that movie, it's a really dark film, but maybe watch it ahead of uh, the new HBO limited series, The Plot Against America, which is also Philip Roth. Uh, OK, so I know that like DiCaprio is like uh, this lauded actor who gets like all this praise for almost every role that he does. But I am still pretty amazed that his work in Shutter Island just went completely unnoticed by everybody. I, I thought he was pretty amazing in that when that when that film came out. Uh, who's another one that I could think of? Hanks in Captain Phillips. No, well, I mean, that movie got the praise I think it deserved. He just missed the Oscar nomination was all. Yeah, I think another person I would mention is, you know, obviously now Sam Rockwell just seems to get so much praise for everything that he does. He's always in the Oscar conversation. But before that seemed to be a given, I really loved him in The Way, Way Back, which is I love a, that you didn't say Moon because I'm like, Moon was 2009. <laughs> no, no I, yeah. I understand that Moon was 2009. But I yeah. think that The Way, Way Back, you know, it's a small movie. It's a very light. It's not that serious. But I just found him to be so hilarious and he just steals the scene whenever he's in the movie he's my supporting actor winner for 2013 i think he's just so great in that film yeah he's really good you know i'm looking at my 2015 lineup there are a lot of performances there that stand out to me as not getting their due like uh love and mercy had uh paul dano elizabeth banks and even though i don't really like him as a person john cusack was really terrific there yeah Uh, ricky and the flash you have meryl streep and audra mcdonald really turning in great work and then the ensemble of Spotlight that didn't get nominated. Of course, you have Mark Ruffalo, but I think Liv Schreiber... I was going to say, didn't get nominated. The two performers in that movie got Oscar nominations, Michael. Well, I, 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 two of them did, but the ones who didn't, I thought, were even better, like Liv Schreiber and Stanley Tucci. I know Michael Keaton won at the Critics Awards, but he should have been in there, too. Yep, you're right. I'll also put out the ensemble of Short Term 12. Oh, yeah. Like, if you just look at it now, like, the, all of those, it just launched so many actors' career. I mean, like, not just Brie Larson, but everyone else included in that film from... Yes, John Gallagher. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's a great one. I'm going to throw a bone towards Ezra uh, Miller for The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, yes. Mm. So good. Good mm-hmm. movie. Absolutely. No, there's a lot of really, really good stuff there, for sure. Um... 
Yeah, it is a fun one. David Mitchell Baker asks, I was thinking this week about how great of a one-two punch before Midnight and Boyhood was for Richard Linklater, but that Niver won him a top Oscar prize. Are there any other directors who you feel like may have had their big opportunity to win Best Director or Picture and it just passed them by? Like that they got nominated or like they were just in the conversation? Let's go with both uh, to widen it a little bit if you could think of something. Who had like their moment and, and like we look back and it was like that was their time and you guys screwed it up, you know? Yeah. The, the one that immediately came to my mind was a filmmaker that I really loved when I was younger. I actually credit him with being the person that got me into movies and that is Tim Burton. And I really feel like it kind of started to happen with Big Fish and Sweeney Todd and it just never came together. And I think clearly that is not happening anymore. And it makes me so sad because I have such respect for Tim Burton. I owe a lot to him just from beginning into movies in the first place. And I really wanted that to happen for him. But it really just seemed like now that that's never going to be in the conversation for his movies. Yeah, that's very unfortunate, you know, but you put out something like Alice in Wonderland, which admittedly was a big hit and uh, Dumbo this past year. And it's, it's tough to crawl back from that. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland was sort of the beginning of the end for him. I know this isn't staying true to the question at hand because this film did win Best Picture, but Ridley Scott's time was Gladiator. I was about to say that. Yeah, and he's never come. It's funny, too, because he never won a single major prize that entire season. He got nominated for everything, but never won. And uh, ever since then, um, like Black Hawk Down, he got nominated the following year. You could tell like they were in that sweet spot with him where they really, really loved him. And then he couldn't even get a nomination for The Martian. And it's just like, I just feel like his time passed, you know? Yeah, that's a good example. And well, he's one of the most diverse directors I have ever seen. Um, Obviously, oh God, I hate bringing this up because it's like, I bring it up so often, but George Miller's time was Mad Max. That is so strange that it didn't happen then. Uh, it, well, it, it's even stranger that Alejandro won back to back. That's that's what's strange to me. But also David Fincher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, you know, we oh, had yeah. Gone Girl, we had the social network and like, it just didn't happen. Yeah, the social network, I think, is. Well, listen, you know what? We have um, what's it called? Mank. Yeah. Yep. Mank's coming up. Yeah. We have Mank coming out this year. You don't know. We No one knows. I mean, I got to admit, on paper, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't know, but never underestimate David Fincher, I say. So. Who's walking in with a huge IOU that I'm sure Netflix will constantly be reminding us. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely sure of that. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 so I, I hesitate to say Social Network was like the moment and it's never going to happen for him now, but it, it could very well be. It was certainly the closest that he's ever gotten and mm-hmm. probably the one that – I mean I really do think that of many of the best director wins, I can't imagine one that has aged as poorly as Tom Hooper has. And it just seems like there's a lot of buyer's remorse on that one. Yeah. yeah. And if anything, I think the social network's reputation has grown over the decade. Mm. What about um, – how about Michael Mann for The Insider? Yeah, I mean, what was the last movie he made? Because I never see Michael Mann coming back. Uh, what was the one in 2015? Black something? Was that Black Hat? Yeah, with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, what about was the that hacker his last with... movie? I, I think it was. Oh, my God. It was he pretty was awful. He was supposed to do Ford versus Ferrari, I thought. And then he handed it over to Mangold. Am I yeah. thinking that 
Am I mistaking something there? No, no, I think you're right. I could be wrong, but I think you're right. Uh, Peter Weir is another one. Yeah. Um, the question is which film? Um, I, I, I guess The Truman Show probably. Maybe? No? I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe. Spielberg was running away with it that year, I guess, so. Yeah. I mean, if uh, Lord of the Rings didn't happen, you know, who knows what Master and Commander would have done. Oh, that's good. Mm, that's a good call. Yeah, I'm going through lists here, just seeing who, like, appeared once or twice and then sort of fell off afterward. I'm all, all the way back to, like, the late 80s now trying to find people. You know, the big names have won at some point or they've yeah. won over in screenplay. I guess one that jumps out now, and I don't want to say he's done just because he hasn't made a movie in five years, and he does have one coming out either later this year or early next year. That's David O. Russell, but it's all going to depend on how willing people are to, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. I have a huge feeling that that's not happening. Same. Mm -hmm. Like, it so could have happened seven or eight years ago, but everything has just changed so drastically we don't even know. Yeah, the landscape is so different that I, I I just can't I cannot imagine him escaping uh, the PR nightmare that would swirl around uh, whatever project he has coming out. Right. I just I just can't imagine it. Yeah, as soon as it comes out, there's going to be pull quotes from Amy Adams on piece. Yeah. All right. You know, on a better example, then you know who probably should have an Oscar right now, but I don't know when they're going to actually win one. Mm. It's Mike Lee. Oh my God! Yeah. Yes. Oh, great yes. choice. Whether it's director or screenplay, the fact that he doesn't have one, I think, is sort of ridiculous. Mike Lee seems destined, in my opinion, to get the David O. Lynch, uh, David O. Lynch, <laughs> to give David O. Russell, <laughs> David Lynch honorary Oscar uh, treatment at some point. I could see that happening. I hope so. I mean, I don't know how many movies he has left in him. He had Peter Lou last year that just sort of dissolved. You know, no one mm-hmm. really. Yeah, nobody saw that movie. <laughs> But uh, before that, you know, Mr. Turner was sort of a thing. Another year, he got the nomination for it. Happy Go Lucky was in there. Vera Drake, he got the director nomination. Mm-hmm. Topsy Turvy almost certainly would have been in there with the year of 10. Mm-hmm. So it's like he had his time. And I just question if or when it'll ever happen. Yeah, I think I, I, I think Mike Lee is destined for an honorary. I'm pretty confident about that. By the way, when we were talking about performances in the last decade that need more recognition... Leslie Manville in another year. Oh, um, yeah. Category <laughs> fraud killed what should have been a winning performance there. Oh, Sorry, God, Melissa yeah. Leo. But uh, if they had put her in supporting, that should have done the deal. Th- that performance is heaven on earth. You got to love the makeup nomination for Phantom Thread, though. Which was great on its own, no doubt. But, you know, another year was really, really just something else. All right, everyone. So uh, that'll do it here for this week, unless if anybody has anything else they want to add. No, I'm just still sad about No Time to Die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for Disney to do something, even though they've been talking how they're adamant about not moving. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't think Disney's gonna budge on anything. To be honest, I really don't. Mm. If they didn't budge on Mulan, they're not budging on anything. Yeah, Mulan is done. No, it's more like April. I want to see like what happens if Top Gun gets me. Like, just I'm I'm curious to see all things from like April to. The summer, what they yeah, do. It's probably mm-hmm. too late to move them along. I mean, Lauren, I, I know you're concerned about Black Widow, so. <laughs> but I'm also concerned about, like, Top Gun. Like, what are they going to do with that? I don't know. But maybe Tom Cruise is the vaccination for uh, coronavirus. You never know. <laughs> he- <laughs> There's going to be, like, a he PR stuff where Tom Cruise gets coronavirus and survives <laughs> it. 
And they're going to be like, that's the <laughs> And stunt. then gives us a discount on Scientology. I genuinely did want to ask you guys who would be the first celebrity to get coronavirus, <laughs> but I really don't want to go that dark. <laughs> um, it, would ha- it would have to be in a joking sense. I, I can't be that serious about that. It's, it's <laughs> no. a serious matter. <laughs> Um, with that said, okay, lighter note. Uh, yay, we're leaving. Okay. Um, so, uh, for the rest of this month, uh, we have two throwback, uh, podcast reviews that we're doing, uh, with the release of A Quiet Place 2. Uh, we are going to be doing a podcast, uh, Patreon throwback review of 28 Days Later. Uh, so that will be keeping in with the, uh, coronavirus, uh, conversation, outbreaks, et cetera, et cetera. Also, uh, starring Killian Murphy, who stars in A Quiet Place 2. So be on the lookout for that sometime actually this week. And also, we will be going back to review the 1998 Disney animated version of Mulan, which I cannot wait to rewatch on Disney+. Plus. I'm so excited. <laughs> so much fun. It's been such a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, so be on the lookout for uh, those podcast reviews from us. And also remember, everyone, too, uh, the end of the decade poll is still going on for the MVP Film Community Awards. So you can head on over to um, the homepage of nextbestpicture.com. Click on the link uh, for the section that says MVP Film Community Awards, and it is the top post on there. So you'll be able to cast your votes there up until, I believe, my lord, uh, we are at March 8th as of today. Uh, You'll be able to cast your votes up until the 21st. So plenty of time. All right, so head on over over there, cast your votes. Let us know what you think ruled the decade. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? Well, before I tell people where they could find me, I just want to point out the anniversary is something today on March 8th. Uh, not that it's a special anniversary, but it's just really interesting to me when we talk about Oscars and what's in the beginning of the, beginning of the year or the end of the year. March 8th, 1996, saw the release of two movies that if they had come out now, you know, would just go on to be major, major, major Oscar contenders. And one of them actually was back in the day. On the same day, 24 years ago, we saw the opening of both Fargo and the Birdcage. Oh, wow. Can you imagine in the first half or even first quarter of a year, movies of those caliber? Ah, uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> Not anymore. Jesus. It, it's just so strange to think about. And even when we get something like The Invisible Man or Onward or even Get Out and Black Panther, like really good movies, having two titles like that to stand the test of time opening the same day early in the year, it's just crazy to me. So I just wanted to point that out for our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, uh, watch those two movies later on, and you can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren, where can I find you? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Josh Parham? I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien? And you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 184 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us, including the two throwback reviews that I mentioned before for 28 Days Later and for Mulan. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And yes, we will be back, promise, next time. Next time.